Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Well, we are starting the, um, <clears throat> the uh, Colossians series, and um, what we do here at New Day is, uh, let me start my recording, there we go. Uh, we vary the uh, types of messages and series that we do. Uh, we just finished what would be called a character study, uh, Bible heroes and villains. And uh, we do topical studies when we look at something like finances or sexuality or what have you, relationships. <clears throat> and then we also do expository studies in which we go through a book of the Bible or a portion of Scripture verse by verse and kind of unpack what it says. And I really like the expository one. Um, in many ways, they're easy to write the sermon because the order of the verses is already set. You know, you don't have to come up with an outline. It's right there. You kind of have to condense it because uh, there's so much, especially in Colossians. But it also covers, it gives us the opportunity to touch on topics or issues that we might not normally do because you just, whatever uh, comes up in the book, we, we talk about. And um, this week, we're talking about Colossians, <coughs> which is a book that was written. Um, first of all, there's a picture uh, of what the original Colossians probably looked like. This copy is an ancient uh, copy from around 175 to 225 A.D., which would have been probably about 100 and 150 years after the original. So this could be a copy of the original or a copy of a copy of the original because the, the paper just didn't last forever. They also made copies not only to preserve it, but to distribute it. And so here we have, uh, this is the one of the oldest intact copies, and it contains most of the Pauline epistles, including the book of Colossians, in the original Greek. And uh, so it's, I just thought it'd be neat to, to look, because that's what the Colossians would have seen, and that's what it looked like um, in, in the original language. Um, and uh, <coughs> so... Uh, I think I skipped a verse, didn't I? Uh, I guess not. All right, so we're just going to jump into it. All right, ready? Um, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossus. Um, Colossus is a city. The Colossians are the people that live in that city. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the author is Paul and Timothy. That pretty much went uncontested. Everybody agreed. Uh, occasionally, uh, more modern scholars uh, kind of want to change the idea and, and think somebody else wrote it. But it's generally accepted throughout all uh, of, of centuries of church that this was actually written by Paul. And he mentions Paul and Timothy. They worked together in writing this letter to the Colossians. Uh, it was most likely uh, written in the mid-50s, and that would have been the time when Paul was in prison. That's when he wrote many of his letters. And he was in Rome in prison because of his faith. And uh, while he was there, he continued to communicate and uh, be a resource for the churches by writing letters as well as people would come and visit him and, and uh, his ministry continued even though he was in prison. And the city of Coloss, I don't know if I'm saying that right, it's Colossi. Um, huh? Close enough. A uh, small city, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's just a pile of rubble right now, but uh, it's only about 100 miles east of Ephesus. 
which a few of us were there a few years ago. Uh, and, uh, and so Ephesus was a major city, and uh, Colossae was a smaller, uh, somewhat unimportant city. It was just like a small town, but there was a church there, and that church was likely started by someone sent out by Paul when he was uh, in Ephesus. Uh, Timothy ended up being in Ephesus as the pastor for many years. In fact, we read in the book of Acts that all who dwelt in Asia, or Asia Minor, that whole region, um, heard the word of the Lord, uh, of Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So while Paul was there ministering, it was a powerful revival in that whole region. People were sent out to every city in that region, and churches were started. And so this is one of those churches. And he opens it with a standard greeting um, in the Greek, which is uh, uh, grace. He uses a variant, which actually means grace, as opposed to just a greeting. Um, but it was a, pretty much a standard way to begin a letter and in, uh, in the Greek. And then he also adds the word peace, which would be the standard Jewish opening, shalom. Uh, they greet one another at the opening of an introduction or a letter. And so he combines both grace and peace. Uh, and not only is he using this as a standard opening and introduction, but I think it also sets the tone because uh, what he's saying and what the letter, the content of the letter and the content of the message is grace and peace. You know, these are not just empty introductory words. These are powerful truths in the kingdom and God's word communicating to God's people grace and peace from God our Father. <clears throat> and so we give thanks, he continues on, to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since, you, uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of the saints. So this is the opening of the letter, but it's important. It sets the tone. You know, the first few lines of anything you read, whether it be a book, opening lines of a movie, right, uh, of a song, it kind of sets the tone. It gives you, it introduces the characters, the main characters, the main ideas. And so when you're reading Scripture, oh yeah, that's one of the things. As we do it, um, uh, expository study, <clears throat> I encourage all of the teachers uh, to not only communicate the truths, but along the way, communicate uh, Bible study methods. And so these are the, some of the things you look for when you're reading the Bible. Uh, uh, and so in the beginning of a letter, you want to or beginning of a book, you want to say, well, who are the main characters, and what is this addressing? What's the background? Uh, and, and, and that's why we're talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> so the main characters are already mentioned, right? Who are they? Paul, what? and Timothy, and the Colossians, right? Okay, those are the three main characters. They're each mentioned a single time, but Jesus is mentioned five times in these first four verses, and the Father is mentioned three times. So eight times in the first four verses, God's mentioned. All right, Paul's mentioned once, and so clearly this is a letter about God. All right, All right, it's like God, 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 God. Is constantly reading. Well, that's because that's what this letter is about. It's to communicate truths about Jesus, truths about the Father, and it reveals the heart of Paul and Timothy. Uh, they're thankful. They're praying. They're commending of the Colossians for their uh, belief and for their love. Um, the phrase, since we heard about your faith, reveals to us, and we know from other uh, sources, that uh, Paul never visited this city. So he's writing to a group of people, church in a small town, probably a small church, that had never seen him. So in many ways, it's like a letter to us. Uh, 
The letter was probably a response to some heresy. If you read a commentary on uh, Colossians, often the commentators spend more time talking about the possible heresies <laughs> almost, than they do about what's actually written. And so I'm not going to talk a lot about the heresies that might have been going on. Uh, I like that the way Paul responds to these heresies is he doesn't take them on point by point uh, and refute each of their arguments. He just starts declaring truth. All right? And so if we understand the truth, we don't have to worry about the, the falsehood, right? And so and this is kind of a clue how do we respond to falsehood when we hear it? Just speak truth. Don't argue point by point. All right? You'll generally have a better response. And there are times where you have to, but that's the way Paul chose to address the issues that were coming up in this church, is just speaking very clearly and forcefully. There's a lot packed into it. It's condensed truth, especially the book of Colossians. All right, verse 5. <clears throat> because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Okay, wow. So Paul gives thanks, uh, his thanksgiving that he's, he's going on and on about how grateful and how thankful he is. And their love, the Colossians' experience of love, is based on something. That's why the word because. Uh, uh, the thankfulness and the Colossians' love is because of this hope. All right, Hope in what? Hope in heaven. Hope laid up for you in heaven. And so that's a future tense, right? There's a hope is something you, you, you are... You are hoping for. Now, hope in Scripture is not a wish. It's not something you, you, you wish would happen. You don't know if it really will. Hope in Scripture is a confident expectation. You know it's going to happen, and because you know it's going to happen, it affects you in the present. All right? Confident expectation. So we have this future hope that is based on something that happened to them in the past. All right, and that was their acceptance of the gospel. It says, which has come to you, past tense, right? So future tense hope based on past tense, ex hearing and accepting the message of the gospel, which then is evidenced in the present. It's bringing forth fruit. All right, and so here's another Bible study tip. Um, look for progressions. Here we have a progression of time and of sequence. The future is based on something that happened in the past that produces something in the present. All right? And that truth that Paul is describing and, 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 and saying that this is the basis for your love and the basis for our thanksgiving that applied to the church in Coloss actually applies to each and every one of us. In other words, you and I should have a future hope. Right? Our hope, our confident expectation of heaven, we're going to spend eternity with God, you know, uh, uh, experiencing the fullness of Him without the separation that comes through the world and sin and sickness and all that. We're going to be in heaven. That's our hope. And that's based on our past experience. Have we had an experience, a time where we came to the place where we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? For some people, it's a, it's a moment, it's a day. You can remember it clearly. For other people, it's more gradual, something that you grew into. And, but there's a, certainly a point where you realize 
Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm following Him. And based on that experience, I can have a hope for the future. But it needs to be manifest or displayed or evidenced in the present, which is the bearing of fruit, something that happens here and now. That progression we see in Scripture, we also want to see in our lives. Right? Amen? You want to see it? All right. You also uh, learn from Epaphras, our fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love. Uh, Epaphras likely planted the church. He was probably the one sent out by Paul while he was in Ephesus to this town in Colossus. And I can just imagine the interchange. He goes and he finds some uh, people get converted. And, you know, they find a place to meet and they find a worship team, they find a sound system that gets donated, you know, that was used, they buy some chairs. No, they probably didn't do it that way. (laughs) Who knows? They might have, except for the sound system. (laughs) Uh, So Epaphras was sent out, someone that had relationship with Paul. And what we see here is churches planting churches. The church in Ephesus uh, planted churches all throughout Asia. So it's not dissimilar at all to what we do starting a church in Vandalia, starting a church in South Carolina, starting a church in North Carolina, and, 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 uh, and then resourcing those churches. Paul's writing the letter, and we have relationship with these people. I love how we see um, individuals named in Scripture, you know, that God was concerned about this, and it's, it's, it's part of what it means to be uh, in the church. You know, it's not just an ideology, it's not just a theory. It's real people doing real stuff in real places, and it continues to this day. Uh, And and Paul describes Epaphras as a um, fellow servant and uh, a faithful minister. Uh, And this fellow servant is literally a bondservant. And I usually think of this in terms of how Paul saw himself. He rarely describes himself as, you know, the great apostle who comes with authority and power, right? He describes himself as a slave, really. Bondservant is a slave, a, a lowly position. But here he, he says that Epaphras is really equal. He's my fellow bondservant. We're on the same, in the same position, as it were. And in a sense, they were, because they, were both, uh, they both shared the same master, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and he was, he was faithful. He was um, diligent. And he's commending Epaphras for doing the job, doing the task that was assigned to him. I like how the message translates this verse. It says that he, Epaphras, was the one who told us how thoroughly love had been worked into your lives by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit. And so this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in this, in this book. We've heard about Jesus, we've heard about the Father, but now we hear the mention of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is described as the active presence of God in these believers' lives, right? He's, you know, Jesus came and did, the Father sent and loved, but guess what? Holy Spirit's right there, working in. Uh, present, he's present, and he's working in. <clears throat> and this idea of, of working in, to me it conjures up the, uh, the image of kneading bread, you know? How many have ever kneaded bread? Like I could use some bread right now. I, I'm thinking. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Kneading dough. Yeah, I need some dough. I, no. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're making bread, 
How many know what I'm talking about? I just realized. Do you guys know what I'm talking? You know what kneading bread is? Kneading dough, right? Yeah, it's. I'm trying to make a joke like that, but it's not going too well. <laughs> okay, so, so kneading dough, you know, and if you want to put add something to this dough, right? It's 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 hard work. It's, you're folding it over and you're folding it over and you. Oh, let's make this cinnamon raisin bread, right? Oh yeah. So let's put some raisins in there and and knead them in by turning and twisting, right? And sprinkle some sugar and cinnamon in there, right? And so that's the idea that the Holy Spirit has got his hands at work in you, kneading in this love, working love into your very being. Uh, That's pretty good. (laughs) For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of, of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Often when we read an opening uh, few verses of a chapter, we just read through this like, yeah, Paul's being nice, and let's get to the... This is loaded with truth, (laughs) okay? And every word of this, every line of this is is packed with uh, truth that can change us and needs to be applied to us. Uh, and I like how Paul nails the idea of knowledge to directly to, connects it, kind of forces it together to God's will, filled with the knowledge of his will, okay? Making God's will, the will of God, the basis for wisdom and understanding. Now, the reason this is important <clears throat> is because in the Greek society, which Colossae was a, a Roman city under the Greek culture, uh, knowledge was very important, all right? And so it was, it was the, always being talked about. I mean, the whole idea of most of how we think of information and learning is all based on the Greek system. The university education, our education model, is all built on the Greek system. And they kind of invented the idea of, 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 of uh, uh, scholar and, and academia, that all of what we just take for granted it was kind of rather new in the Greek culture, which then uh, became the Roman uh, civilization. <clears throat> and so this was still very, very important. And knowledge was the highest you know, thing to attain to. But here Paul links this word knowledge to God's will. All right? And so knowledge in and of itself actually can be destructive. You know? And Paul says, listen, he, he, his prayer and, and, and God's prayer for you and I, for every believer, is that we be filled with not just knowledge, but the knowledge of the will of God. All right? What's, what's God's will in this? How, how does this, this, being any information that we may come across, integrate with the will of God? And this applies all the more now in our day when we have access to more information than anyone in all of human history could possibly imagine. We have at our fingertips, and the little devices in your hands, access to so much information. We need to link that information with the will of God. Right? Does that make sense? Because then it enables us to have wisdom and understanding. 
uh, <coughs> any, uh, uh, it's probably getting ready to kind of address this, some of the heresy that was likely going on, which was a mixing, mixing together of um, secular ideas because of the Greek society, um, just basic humanistic ideas, along with the influence of Judaism and some of the re- more religious Judaistic uh, ideas and Christian ideas. And so, um, you know, we really don't know what was being taught, what was being uh, done, but we think there was a confusion going on in that city. And Paul's addressing it by stating clearly these ideas that help the church in Colossians, uh, in Colossians uh, stay on track. And then he introduces the idea, not just of understanding, but spiritual understanding. Uh, understanding and, and human reasoning is fine, but the purpose of the church and the purpose of Scripture is to speak into the whole you know, aspect of life that falls under the spirit category. Right? Uh, you know, there, science is good. We can analyze data, but there's something called a human spirit. And Paul is addressing, and God is addressing in Scripture, spiritual understanding. And this is differentiating this information from just simple textbook information. Uh, and it gives us an, uh, an understanding. Okay, he's talking to our spirits. We need to understand this in a spiritual way. Um, and it goes on in, these, in this, next, this verse and the next verse to actually list seven traits um, that are produced through being filled with the knowledge. And so guess what? Another Bible study tip. that uh, Look for lists. And this is how I came across this. I was reading this. I, I saw that there's actually, he's listing off. There's, he lists this. this. I didn't get a pencil. Actually, a pen and a, p- and a paper, and I wrote them down, and I, and I found that there were seven different characteristics associated with being filled with the knowledge of His will. One is that we are to walk worthy, <clears throat> and so our walk is not just how we get across the room, right? <laughs> He's not talking about that kind of walk, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about walking worthy, walking, it's our lifestyle, that our lifestyle would actually display the gospel, all right? God's will would be, that we are to be walking gospels. When people look at the way we live our lives, they should see the will of God revealed to the point where they would, would be actually drawn to that. Fully pleasing, giving God pleasure. Do you realize that we have the capacity? This is radical. You know, I, I, you know, I can, I'm broken. I have pride. I can hardly influence, you know, my own spouse. Right? <laughs> I have a hard time, you know, keeping the house working and the lawnmower working, right? But I actually have the capacity to make God happy. You have the capacity the God of the universe, you can bring him pleasure. That's incredible. All right? How? By the way you live. You can make your daddy happy. My kids can make me happy. When they do well, I get joyful. Right? You can bl- that is blessing the Lord. Okay? And desiring to please him. 
So we are to walk worthy and we're to be fully pleasing. So that means we can bring him pleasure and then we desire. All right, what does that, that means that making him happy actually makes me happy because I'm getting what I want. You know, what I want is to make him happy and it, and it makes him happy. I think it's an incredible aspect of life. Being faithful. Knowledge should produce not only personal, tra- oh, I'm sorry, not, I did that at the first service too. Being fruitful. <laughs> Knowledge should produce not only uh, personal transformation, in other words, something that just happens inside, but it should affect those around us and our community. Okay? There should be evidence of our life. Fruit on a tree, like an apple tree, you can walk up to the apple tree, you can take the apple, you can walk away from the tree, and you can enjoy the fruit of the tree, right? Even though the tree is in a different place. The apples you buy from, who knows? The apples you buy from the grocery store, who knows where the tree is, right? But that fruit is affecting and, you can, and, and, and benefiting others. And so our lives need to bear fruit, which is influencing. And we can do that, how? By being filled with the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge. So being filled with the knowledge of God actually includes in it this desire and ability to increase our capacity for knowing God. And I'm going to quote from a, a, a very old uh, a Bible scholar. He says, The full knowledge of God is the real instrument of enlargement in soul and life in the believer. How many want enlargement of your soul, an increase of your ability to experience God and the things of God, and an increase of life, right? How many want more life, right? How do you get that? The knowledge of God. Knowing God, knowing His will, knowing Him personally produces real change in your life strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, um, long-suffering with joy, giving thanks. This is that list continuing into the next two verses. The fifth uh, attribute that we get from being filled with the knowledge of God is being strengthened with might. And the word might there uh, literally means power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. And what happened is when you became a Christian, you were transformed into a new person. And so your nature has been, we, we actually, we have the nature of God in us. All right? And so our very nature has might. And that might is in, increased or strengthened or empowered by knowing God. All right? Knowing God increases our strength, our might to live His will. And in patience, uh, and long-suffering with joy. <clears throat> uh, often we misunderstand when the Bible calls for patience or when we want to be more patient. Uh, most people are, just think it means putting up with things. <laughs> I'm trying to be patient. No, you're just upset, <laughs> right? Patience is, um, it means remaining unchanged despite the circumstances, all right? In joy. How can you be filled with joy even though everything's going wrong? Patience isn't just putting up with it until it gets better. It means through the midst of it, it doesn't change me. I'm still filled with joy. I'm still filled with hope. I know I'm going to win. God's faithful. Cars are breaking down. This is happening. That's happening. But I'm faithful. God's faithful. I'm filled with joy. It doesn't change me. All right? Of course, in Paul's day, it meant being stoned, being, you know, convicted and thrown in jail, thrown to the lions, you know? 
it was a little more serious back then, and it's more serious in certain places in the world today. But knowing God enables us to remain patient and have long-suffering and do it with a joyful heart. <clears throat> and then finally, giving thanks. Uh, Paul writes this while he's sitting in prison with a death sentence. Yeah, and even in that situation, he had the ability to be grateful. All right, And he's, and he's telling uh, the Colossians, listen, knowing God empowers and enables you to have thanksgiving regardless of the circumstances of your life. You can live with gratitude. All right, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance in the saints of life. This word qualified is really important. <clears throat> All right, he gives, he gives uh, uh, again, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified. This is a quote from a commentary. It says, who made us qualified, not is making us qualified by progressive growth in holiness. Rather, once for all, made us qualified. You understand that? All right, so that means this is not a pro Being qualified by God, coming up to the standard, okay, that's what it means, uh, getting quality approval is an act of God, the Father. And it's done. It's past tense. All right? It's been done by God. Boom! And I like he goes on. He says, it's not primarily the Spirit's work, but the Father's work. Ah, yeah, I know. <laughs> by adoption. God qualifies us by adoption. Once and for all is a new standing, uh, namely that of children. And a perfect example is adoption. All right? And so if a family adopts a baby, that baby doesn't automatically have all of the attributes of the new family. Right? That baby, in fact, probably came from a broken family. That's why they're up for adoption for whatever reason. And has a lot of problems. But you know what? Once they're adopted, they have the new name. And they have all the rights and the inheritance. They qualify. They are part of the family 100%. But they need to work on the different characteristics to learn what it means to be part of the family. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, all right? Uh, <clears throat> uh, it says the believers, the believers were in different stages of progressive sanctification, or that just means learning how to live like Christ, right? But in respect to the qualifications, they were all alike, had it from the Father in Christ, His Son, being complete in Him. So this, this answers this, this conflict, uh, both theological, but also I experience it just as an individual. It's like, wait a minute, I'm, I thought I was a Christian, yet I still sin. What's going on here? Well, I am complete in Him, yet there's still aspects of my old nature that need to be put off, right? And aspects of God's nature that need to be put on. I'm fully qualified through adoption by the Father, but the Spirit is still at work, working in me, Love and truth and righteousness and goodness. And that's just a tension of life, isn't it? Yeah. You know, thankfully, we're on God's side and we've yielded to the influence of the Holy Spirit by accepting the adoption of the Father. All right. I'm doing a lot better on time. I better not slow down. Don't get, don't get overconfident here. <laughs> he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son of His love. Oh, this verse has so much. 
uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Yeah, there's this, uh, it's this uh, power-packed, loaded verse. I could preach on this verse probably for a whole month, if not a year, but I can't because it's just one verse in this whole section. It launches us, this, these two verses actually kind of set the stage for what Mark is going to talk about next week, which is the, who Christ is, the supremacy of Christ. Because this is what God accomplished through Christ. And then Paul goes into explaining who Christ is. And that's one of the most important sections, this next, next few verses that Mark's going to cover next week. Um, <clears throat> but in this passage, what we do see are a number of contrasts. And that's another thing to look for as you're reading Scripture. Look at contrasts. All through Scripture, especially in the New Testament, they use contrast. They compare two different things in a way that enables us to understand both. And here we see uh, we were delivered, uh, contrasted with being conveyed. We see power contrasted with kingdom. I'm going to talk about all of these. And we see, oops, we missed one. Darkness contrasted with light and love, <coughs> right? And the, and the kingdom of his son. So, uh, just to kind of unpack this, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son. Uh, the word delivered simply means to rescue. Particularly, it means like to rush in and grab someone and draw them to yourself. Yeah, it's kind of a neat, neat phrase. So, uh, it, it definitely uh, is a uh, you know, reference to the whole Exodus story, which shapes so much of the Bible uh, and the history and heritage of the Jewish people being rescued from the dominion of Pharaoh and slavery and brought out to freedom. Uh, but, uh, it just means being set free, being uh, rescued. And it, of course, it means that there is a rescuer. And then the word power <coughs> is important because the Greek word that Paul uses simply means a force, all right? Uh, and it is actually translated in some translations the dominion of darkness or the domain of darkness, right? And it kind of communicates an impersonal force. And the idea is, you know, you can have force, you can have power uh, illegitimately or without proper authority. And so a criminal walks into uh, a, a place with a, a, a machine gun, he's got power, and he starts killing people, right? He, that power is real, but he doesn't have the authority. He doesn't have, he's not using that power in a proper way. And so in the same way, there is power at work in the earth that doesn't bring life. It actually brings darkness. It brings bondage. That's what God rescued us from. Uh, and darkness is a symbol of evil. Uh, and it's also a reference to how, you know, we experience darkness now, but everybody, everybody today has access to something that we can just click a button and we have light, right? And our, all our streets are lit up. But think of darkness back in ancient days when uh, I once read an article that they, used, uh, they studied the cost of light and how much it would cost, even a candle, in Bible days, were very, very expensive. And the shift that now light is, is basically free, you know, and it's changed the whole economy and how people live. Back then, man, when it was dark, it was really dark. And there was nothing you could just turn on. I think it also kind of hints to this whole, the words that Paul uses kind of alludes to uh, creation, 
Because we're the sons of light uh, being rescued from darkness. And in the beginning, the earth was uh, uh, void, right, and dark. Uh, and, and darkness covered the earth, right, and it was empty. <coughs> and then God said, let there be light. So there's kind of a reference to the, the first creation in our new creation. And I love the word conveyed. We're taken, we're rescued out of bondage, out of darkness, but not just out of something. We're actually rescued into something. And it's really important that the, actually the most important part is what we're brought into. And the word can actually be translated, translated, <laughs> like, they, like from one language to another. We were translated or uh, transported, if you want to use a contemporary Star Trek term. <laughs> All right. Uh, or transferred or a music, musical term, transposed. Like we were just transposed by God from, you know, a key of F minor to a key of A major. <laughs> thought that would help. Huh. I mean, I don't know anything about music, so I was just going out on a limb there. So he brought us out to bring us in. But this idea that God could just translate us from one thing to another is, is, is powerful. And what he translates us into is a kingdom. Right? And a kingdom is a lot different than just impersonal force. In fact, the existence of a kingdom uh, implies that there's a king. And a king is a person, right? So it's the reign in a personal sense. And that is the combination of power with right authority in relationship. That brings life, right? Power with right authority in relationship with a person is what we're delivered into, and that's something that brings life. And it's the kingdom of the son of his love. And I like how this one commentator, actually from quite a long time ago, uh, writes that this throws, this phrase, the way it's worded, throws the emphasis of this whole conversation that Paul has on the Father's love, of which the Son is the perfect expression. Too often we think of Jesus as the one who comes to rescue us from the Father. But Jesus is coming representing the love of the Father. All right? The Father is the one rescuing us, and He's working with His Son to accomplish that rescue. So central to the work of salvation that was accomplished by Jesus Christ when He died on the cross for our sin was the motivating fact that it flows from the Father's love. Right? God so loved the world. God so loved Dan Veen. God so loved Bob Brower. God so loved each and every person on planet Earth that He was willing to send His Son, the Lord Jesus, to die and to shed His blood. And He says that in whom, in the person, in that person, uh, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Two things here. We have redemption. Redemption <clears throat> speaks of the purchase price to obtain something that was held bondage and slavery unto freedom. All right? It means the price has been paid. All right? Each one of us uh, fails to live up to God's standards. Right? You know what? Each one of us, if you're like me, I fail up to live up to my, even to my own standard. I can't even live my own standard. 
very well without failing. How much more can I not live up to God's standard? So how, what can make up for the lack between the standard that I'm actually living and the standard I aspire to and the standard God calls me to? What can make up for that gap? The blood of Jesus. The fact that Christ died. Christ said, I can do that. I can reach down and grab you from where you are. I can pull you out of guilt and shame, free from all that, and you just stick with me, kiddo. You're going to be in the Father's lap for eternity. All right? That's what this means. All right? We're brought back. We're ransomed. It's been paid for. Whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever you're dealing with, whatever is pestering you or plaguing you, a habit, a bad thought, bad uh, self-image, a sinful habit, all of that has been paid for. You need to stand up to it and say, that was paid for. It's paid for. It's a done deal. I'm free from that. I'm free from the shame. Happens again. It's paid for. I'm free from it because it's, sh- it's the shame and the guilt that weighs you down that gets you stuck there. When you realize, listen, Jesus paid for that. Stick with Jesus. He will get, he will get you completely free. And uh, <clears throat> because he paid the price that brought us forgiveness. I like this, is that redemption releases us from the power of sin and forgiveness from its guilt. So we get redemption, we get set free because of what Jesus accomplished, but then we're also forgiven. That means the guilt, the shame of all of that, uh, failing to meet the standard, it's just removed. It's washed. It no longer holds us down. Would you just close in prayer? If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the sense of forgiveness or you're not sure that you've been redeemed and set free, I'm here to tell you Jesus paid that price. And all you need to do is receive it. Receive the free gift. No one goes to hell because of sin. Because Jesus paid the price for all sin. He died for the sins of the whole world. You only end up there if you refuse the free gift of the love of God. And that free gift is available to you right now. You just have to say, I receive your free gift. I receive you. And then follow Him as Lord and Savior and stick with Him through thick and thin. Lord, I pray that you would lift off shame and guilt and that you would reconnect people in their right uh, uh, relationship with you right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. Amen.